Our scripture text is found in Genesis chapter 3. We'll read from verse 7 through 24. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth, forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has now become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Just take a moment and pray again. Father, your word is living and it's powerful, and we ask that you would prove that today by speaking from your word to each of us. In Christ's name, amen. So according to Google, the atmosphere of our planet is comprised almost entirely two basic elements. 98% of the air that is surrounding you right now is made up of two things, nitrogen and oxygen. You can't see them, you don't smell them, you could easily go your entire life and never even think about them, but everywhere you go in this world, you are always surrounded by those two things. Now, I think you could say, in a 
spiritual sense, if you're looking at the world spiritually, I, th I think you could say that, that uh, there are also two basic elements. Maybe we should call them two fundamental realities that in, in a similar way, they surround us all the time. They're always there. Can't get away from them. They are pain and promise. The, the pain that was brought into this world by human sin and the unstoppable promise of God's redeeming love. Those two realities are part of our existence. So uh, let me first talk about the pain. This summer, we're studying the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. Last week, we saw how the first man and the first woman, who, if you remember, they, they, were, they were created to be objects of God's infinite love. God, God created them so he could just spend eternity pouring out his love on them, right? Made in his image. Last week, we saw how this first man and this first woman they listened to the voice of the evil one, right? The serpent, they rejected the truth of God's word. They rebelled against the authority of their creator. We saw, that's what we saw. They sinned against God. They ate the forbidden fruit. We see today that the moment they did that, pain became part of our experience in this world. Just pain and suffering and disappointment and heartbreak. Pain came into the world. Now, you might ask, well, okay, what, what kind of pain was it? Well, multifaceted. Like, you'll notice here first, um, it was psychological pain, I guess you could call it that, just inner sense of anxiety and despair and just kind of this, this personal sense of brokenness that we all feel. It, I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago. Pastor Jeffrey was preaching from the end of Genesis chapter 2 where God um, created the, uh, the, the wife for Adam, and it said at the very end of that chapter, it said, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's the way God made them. They, they just, they didn't feel any shame at all. They didn't feel any inadequacy. They didn't feel any embarrassment. They didn't feel, they didn't feel any kind of remorse. They were just, they were completely happy in the world. They completely um, comfortable in their own skin, right? What a change happens in today's passage. As soon as they turned their backs on God, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The, the instant they turned their back on God, um, immediately they began to experience an emotion they had never, ever felt before. They felt shame. They just felt like they needed to cover up. They felt like they had something to hide. They both, both of them, they just felt like something was wrong with them. This inner shame. Now, in our world, there is such a thing as false shame. You know, when people blame themselves for things they're not really responsible for, um, rape victims or victims of abuse will often uh, just allow, kind of be assaulted by this false shame, this sense that they are to blame for what happened to them. That's, that's, that's not real. They should be set free from that. That's false shame, right? With Adam and Eve, however, this, this was not false shame. They weren't just imagining this. This wasn't, that, listen, this was real. You notice at the end of the chapter, um, 
what does God have to do for Adam and Eve? He has to, he has to clothe them, right? He has to, they really did need to be covered. Like God doesn't come to them at the end of the chapter and say, oh, you guys, please, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You, you haven't done anything. There's nothing wrong with you. By the way, did I tell you, you look great in those fig leaves. They look good on you. Listen, what we need to do is just kind of find a way to boost your self-esteem so you don't feel bad anymore. God doesn't do that. It, sa it says in verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. In other words, they really did need to be covered. There, there, really, was, there really was something wrong with them. Something... Uh, impure and defiled and, and indecent about them that God says, I can't just boost your self-esteem. We have to cover this up now. Now, the problem uh, we know wasn't merely their bodies. I mean, according to the Bible, what Jesus always taught is that, that listen, our biggest problem is not the way we look on the outside. We tend to obsess over that, right? Our biggest problem is not way, the way we look on the outside. Our biggest problem is who we are on the inside. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 7. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. No, what a list, right? Would, would you agree with me that if we could look at all of our thoughts, we'd see that that type of stuff is in each one of us? And so the moment uh, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, this, this one kind of pain came, just this psychological pain, personal, just feeling of something's wrong. Another kind of pain uh, they experience is... is uh, spiritual pain, an immediate sense of alienation from God. Verse, verse 8 says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Do you guys know what it sounds like when God walks through a garden? Do you know what it sounds like? Neither do I, all right? I, I don't know what it sounds like, but apparently they did. I mean, they, they recognized that sound. It must, have, it must have been very familiar to them. What I would infer from that is that this this must have been something that happened for them on a regular basis. God himself would come and walk with them and talk with them. In other words, um, they, they enjoyed a close, personal, intimate relationship with the creator. That, that's the way God designed them. But listen, the second they turned their back on God's word, all of that, it was like it was just gone. That relationship with God was gone. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. I wonder if their normal practice up to that point had been to just run to God and, and, and rejoice that he was there. But they, they hid themselves from his presence, the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Um, they, something had gone wrong in their relationship with God. They were separated from him now. And the Bible says that this has happened to all of us. Um, Isaiah 59 says this. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. There's a distance now between us and our creator. And here's, have, you, have you figured this out yet? This is something that you'll, you'll learn if you, 
if you're attentive to it. There's a distance between us and God. No amount of human effort can ever span that distance. You can get involved in church. You can get involved in, in, in the social work. You can do, do your best to be a good person. The Bible says that none of that would ever, ever, ever work to bring you back to God again. It'd be just kind of like fig leaves. It wouldn't really do the job. By the way, that's, that's why we need a Savior, isn't it? But immediately, um, there's psychological pain that they feel and this spiritual pain. This relationship with God is gone. And then the third kind of pain is, uh, I guess you could call it social pain or interrelational pain. Um, there were things weren't right between Adam and Eve anymore. Um, conflict. I wonder if any of you are involved in conflict right now. It stinks, doesn't it? I wonder if you've, have you ever asked yourself, why is, why is there so much fighting in this world? So much, people just can't understand each other. They can't get along with each other. I'll go on Facebook and I just see one fight after another. People mad at each other. Why does that happen? Why, why even in families is there sometimes discord, disagreement, so many wars in the world? Well, the, Bi the Bible would say that all of that conflict between people can be traced back to that one decision that Adam and Eve made to rebel against God. The moment, the, listen, the moment they disobeyed God, the harmony that had existed between the two of them as husband and wife, it was all messed up, wasn't it? Again, if you remember from uh, Genesis 2 a few weeks ago when God, when God created Adam's wife for him, and brought Eve into his presence. Adam's reaction was basically he just burst into song. He's singing for joy. He was so enraptured with this woman. In fact, he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He just, he adored her. He loved her. <laughs> Isn't it weird what has happened in today's passage? God comes and confronts Adam with the fact that he's eaten this fruit. Have you eaten the fruit I told you not to eat? What does Adam do? He immediately turns on this woman he loved. Basically, you'd say he threw her under the bus, right? He said he blames her for it. He says, it's the woman you gave me. She's the one who did it. God, get mad at her. So what? Something immediately happened in their relationship with each other. And we can tell from this passage that this would, was not to be just kind of a one-time event, a little blip on the radar. Well, they had a bad moment in their marriage. No, they were going to struggle. They were going to struggle in their marriage from this time on and forever. Um, when God later in the passage starts explaining to them the, the various consequences of their decision, he says something kind of strange to the woman at the end of verse 11. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. People have wondered for years, what exactly does that mean? But apparently God was saying that from because they've turned their back on God, now a, a part of their experience that they're going to have in their marriage, there will always be resentment. There will, there will always be uh, a selfishness. There will always be this desire to control each other. They're always going to have to struggle against those tendencies. It'll never be like it was before. And... Uh, Maybe you know this already. Listen, even in the very best of marriages, couples struggle with these things. It's just 
No, no one has experienced a perfect marriage since Adam and Eve turned their backs on God. It's all, there's always, there's always a, a struggle with self-centeredness and resentment and, and these things. And by the way, it's not just marriage, is it, that suffers from that. Um, there are conflicts between parents and children. You ever experienced that? There, there, there are painful disagreements among friends. Have you ever lost a good friend? You say, how did that happen? In, in churches, you know, the Holy Spirit is here. We're the people of God. But there, there will be gossip and, and mistrust and division. Not to talk about even the wars that are in this world. And all of these things, the Bible would say, they are the result of human sin. So I wonder if you are right now, um, maybe there's some conflict in your life, somebody you really care about, and things have just kind of, where did it go wrong? If that's the case, you don't have to tell me, I know. You are suffering. Isn't it a form of suffering when, when someone you love and you're just not getting along with them? And it just, it hurts, doesn't it? James chapter 4 says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Isn't it this, that your passions, your inner brokenness, your passions are at war within you? So you see that there's pain, right? And I don't want to make this too dreary, but there's, there's more. There's psychological pain. There's this spiritual pain. They're cut off from God. There's social pain. They can't get along with each other anymore. And, and then, oh, I guess this is the worst. Or at least it's the most notable. There's instantly physical pain in the world. Child, childbirth, God says to the woman in verse 11, is now going to be a very, very painful experience for women. I don't know if it really is painful. Women who've had kids, is it? I thought my wife was faking. I guess it is painful um, to give birth. Work. If you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Jeffrey talked about how work was to be a blessing. God gave to it to the man and the woman this great dignity of, of working in God's world for his glory. Work itself has now become painful and difficult and hard. You see that in verse 17 to 19. And then finally, that, that which um, no one will get out of this world without shedding tears over this fact. Death, physical death, becomes part of our reality. God says, verse 19, uh, you will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Some people in our church this year um, buried people that we love. That hurts. And every one of us here will someday face the pain of our own death. No, no one will escape that. See, see what God is saying. From childbirth, through all the years of your labor, to the very end. For like from the start of your life, through the middle of your life, and at the very end of your life, God says there's going to be pain, pain, pain. And that's part of the atmosphere around us, isn't it? Here's an old hymn. They don't write them like this anymore. All mankind fell in Adam's fall. One common sin infects us all. From father to son, the stain descends, and over all, the curse impends. Through all our powers, corruption creeps, and us in dreadful bondage keeps. In guilt, we draw our infant breath and reap its fruits of woe and death. And then the bridge and the guitar break. No, I'm just, that's, um, 
so you weren't just imagining it. Life in this world is really hard, isn't it? Everywhere we go, there's pain. But everywhere we go, there's God's promise. That's the, that's the second reality. It's always there. There's a promise that God still loves us. He still loves the world. He's still in control, and he's going to make things right again. And you see that right in the middle of this passage, um, God is describing the, the new reality in the world, all the pain that's around them. And right in the middle, God speaks words. We've been emphasizing the power of God's word today. He speaks words of promise. Now, what's weird is he speaks, he speaks them to the serpent. Verse 14, he says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then look at verse 15. People have, people have meditated on this verse for centuries. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. I'll put enmity, God says, to the, the evil one between, between your offspring and the offspring of the woman. Now, what does this mean? Well, the word offspring, is, uh, it's a collective noun. That means even when it's, a, even when it's a, in its singular form, like it is here, it still can refer to a, a big group of people. So in, in one sense, this could be just, God is talking about a his people, a group of people, just predicting that there will be, from that point on, just this conflict between the people of God and the forces of evil in this world. And isn't that the case? I mean, that's been going on every generation. Listen, in every generation, men and women are, are called to stand up and trust in God and take their stand against the evil in this world. So in one sense, at one level, I think God is talking about that. But there's got to be more than just that, because the, he, in the second part of the verse, um, God begins very strangely. He, he switches from using this collective noun to a singular pronoun. He says, he, who? He, God says to the serpent, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God is now just talking about one specific person. He's somehow saying, listen, someday one person will descend from this woman. There will come one born of a woman. And he says to the serpent, he is going to crush your head. He's going to put an end to you and to evil and suffering and pain. He's going to crush this. And here's what he says. The way this coming one will put an end to evil, he will allow evil to cause pain to him. He will crush your head as you bite his heel. Now, do you know that people for years have read that and they've said, I, I know who that's talking about. How many of you think you know who that's talking about? I, I know who that's talking about. It's talking about Jesus. The one who comes, the promised one, Born of woman, as it says in Galatians. Born of woman, born under the law. He comes and he puts an end to evil and pain and sin by allowing suffering to come to himself. He crushes the serpent's head 
even as the serpent bites his heel. So God, in the midst of all this pain and chaos, the whole world is just crumbling around them, God speaks this word of promise to them. Some would even say God was speaking the gospel to them. Very first time the gospel is ever preached, right here, in the garden. The whole world crashing around. God stands up and says, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. I promise you, one day, he will come. Now, here's where something really weird happens. This just seems like a non sequitur. I mean, why in the world did this happen? Um, after God speaks, Adam decides to give his wife a name. Now, what, he, what did he call her up to that point? Hey, you? I mean, maybe he had another name for her. Maybe he changes her name. I don't know what's going on. But he, that's what it says in verse 20. Right after all of this takes place, they sin, the world starts crumbling, there's pain, there's suffering. God proclaims this promise. It says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Isn't that weird? I mean, it just, the curse has been poured out on the world. They've been told they're going to die. They're being driven from the, from the garden forever. And Adam says, hey, honey, you know, I think we need to change your name, right? What, what's going on here? What's even stranger is the name that he gives her. He calls her Eve, which they tell us sounds like the Hebrew for life giver. What a name life giver. Death just came into the world. A few verses before, he was blaming her for it. You would expect him, hey, I'm going to start calling you death giver. He says, no, honey, my name for you from here on out, Eve, life giver. Isn't that weird? Why does he do this? A lot of people think, I would agree with him, that in some very subtle way, this is Adam's, this was Adam's way of just affirming that he believed God's promise. Sort of Adam's uh, profession of faith. God has, said, God has said, someday from this woman, through her line, someone is coming who will bring life into this dying world. And Adam says, I believe it. So I'm going to start calling her life giver. I believe. It was interesting. It seems that that was the only thing God, listen, that was kind of the only thing God wanted Adam to do in this moment. The whole world has just been ruined. There's death, there's hunger, there's sorrow, everything's falling apart. God doesn't say to Adam, listen, I want you to go out there and fix the world, transform the world. You can't fix the world. Listen, I can't even fix myself. Neither can you. God just says, listen, I don't want you to fix anything. I just want you to believe believe he's coming the seed of the woman is coming he's coming he will make things right he will crush the serpent's head he just wanted Adam to believe you know it's the same thing he wants from you God is not, God is not here today saying listen why don't you fix your white life fix your family fix the world church why don't you go out there and transform society no, God is not saying that what are we going to fix we're the ones that messed it up God is saying, I just want you to believe the gospel. Not that he is coming. He has come. Amen? Jesus came, the seed of the woman. 
There were once a bunch of once there was once a once a bunch of religious people who came to Jesus in John chapter 6 and this is what they said they said to him what must we do to do the works of God it says Jesus answered them this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent just believe so I don't know what in what ways lately you've been experiencing the curse I love Bruce's prayer earlier about how it's just life can immediately we're immediately we're in pain, right? Relationships can fall apart. We can stumble into sin. We didn't see that coming. Illness can assault us. I don't know in what way. Right lately, you've been experiencing the curse. You know what God is saying to you today? Believe the promise. Just believe. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you that you did not give up on our parents when they sinned against you. You didn't give up on the world. Thank you that you have not given up on us. You have sent us Jesus. Thank you. Amen.